creation starts with God. Uh, the missio day of God. That God is a God of, of mission. And we say that we, we want to join God in what it is he's already doing. That we want to join him in the renewal of all things. That he is making all things new. And in the process of him making all things new, that we get to bring life to the communities, to the neighborhoods, to the networks that we all represent. That we all have places in culture and society that we influence. And so we want to join God in his renewal of all things, but we want to bring communities to life. We want to see life in those places. And, uh, and so as we've been exploring that idea, we've just got six things that we've been looking at that kind of help us put some legs on this thing that we believe the Lord's called us to, to do. And so those six things are prayer that fuels mission, communities, networks, and neighborhoods, disciples that make disciples, releasing leaders that impact nations, restoring justice and compassion, and the next generation. So last week we we kind of let, went a little bit out of sync and we were looking at justice and compassion. I'm going to step back on this week and we're going to look at this idea of releasing leaders uh, that impact nations. And I want, to, I want to look at a couple of different verses. Uh, but first of all, we're going to be in Jeremiah 29. If you've got your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or however you access your Bible, Jeremiah 29, if you're not sure what that is, look in the index, and um, there's no shame in that. But Jeremiah 29, you know, often when we jump into an Old Testament verse like this, it's helpful to kind of get some context, isn't it? Just what's going on, what's, what's being said here. And basically, God's people, Israel, are in exile. They've been taken captive by the Babylonians. And, and basically, the, the Babylonians were, were kind of a, they're kind of like the ISIS of their day. You know, they're kind of brutal bunch. You know, play, play tennis with people's heads and that kind of thing. You know, uh, quite brutal. And what they would do is they would go into a nation or a people and they would look for the best of the best. You know, the cream of the crop, those who were good at business, those are good at commerce, and, and basically they would take those people back to Babylon and then begin this process of kind of stripping them of their cultural identity. They would often take relics from the, the conquering people, as well, the people they conquered, you know, they probably took things from the temple uh, when they conquered Israel, and, they, and, 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 and so the Babylonians were this kind of mishmash of cultures that they invaded and, 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 and took over. And actually, these, at this period of time, Israel are in exile because God allowed it. And sometimes we're a little bit shocked by that. It's a, that's a little bit harsh. Why, why would God allow his people to be taken captive? But they have. They've been taken captive by the Babylonians. And uh, in that process, God raises up prophets. And he raises up this prophet, Jeremiah, to to speak about the condition of God's people and, and what is actually going on. Why are these things being said? And so God's people are in a tough predicament. They're, they're, in, a, they're in a tough place and this prophet comes and he speaks to their condition. 
He speaks of Israel's unfaithfulness, that they've, they've given themselves to other gods. Uh, they've surrendered themselves to other things. And so God has taken them into exile. Now, the interesting thing about in Jeremiah's time was there were other so-called prophets and, and people who were claiming to speak on behalf of God. And these, these prophets were, I, I'm not completely sure what they were saying, but they were probably saying things like, it's okay, God's going to rescue you. He's going to come, everything's going to be fine. Those, that, that, those were the sort of prophetic messages that they were given. But Jeremiah says something quite different. He says, he says something, something quite different. Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, and find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. In other words, God's making it really clear, you're going to be there for a while. Okay? You may as well settle down, guys. You're going to be here for a while. And, you know, as we uh, read a passage like this, this is one of the reasons why context is everything, why, why context is really important. Jeremiah says, you know, don't listen to those other voices because they don't speak on behalf of the Lord. They don't speak on behalf of the Lord. I want you to settle down. I want you to invest where God has put you. And then he says this in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and forget, uh, fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So God makes it clear, guys, you're going to be there for 70 years. 70 years. So I'll bring you back to the place. And then he says this in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, often we quote verse 11, don't we? And we forget the whole beginning of that passage. And so we make verse 11 very personal about us. And we kind of feed into our kind of consumerized understanding of faith and God's going to prosper me God's going to have a plan for me and and sure God will and there's plenty of verses that give that promise that God is going to take care of us but actually this passage is about something else completely it's about an instruction and promise to the people of God in a particular time and place the people of God in exile He's like, you guys are in a strange land, and it's going to feel awkward. You're going to feel oppressed from either side. There's going to be forces closing in on you, but you need to settle down. You need to, to settle down and just start to live life in that place where I've led you, because you're going to be there a while. You're going to be there for 70 years. And whilst you're there, I want you to pray for your oppressors. I want you to pray for those who have who've tried to destroy your cultural identity, who have taken you away from where you belong. I want you to pray for their prosperity. Anybody up for this? <laughs> I want you to pray for their prosperity 
And guess what? When they prosper, you're going to prosper too. When your enemies prosper, you will prosper too. And then he says, the time's going to come, 70 years from now, when, when you'll realize the plans I had for you were good. They were for your good. They were for your benefit. They were plans to give you hope. Plans, O oh Israel, to give you a future. In many ways, the church in our culture is, is a little bit like a church in exile. I don't know if you've noticed that. You know, we live in a culture that actually the predominant force isn't the Christian voice, is it? That we live in an increasingly secular culture where people like you and me and sit in rooms like this on a Sunday are a minority. And it can sometimes feel like we are the church in exile. And often, you know, our response to that is, oh God, would you come and fix things? Would you come and sort things out? I've, I've heard people pray, and this is not a criticism, but I've heard people pray like, Lord, will you make us a Christian nation again? Lord, will you come and sort this out? And there's this mentality that if we pray hard enough and if we shout hard enough, things will go back to normal, whatever normal was meant to be. There is that that sense. But my argument this morning, and I haven't got a great deal of time to build an argument, so you're just going to have to take my word for it, but what if the church in our Western culture was exactly where God wanted it to be? What if the future of the church wasn't found in power, but it was found in humility? What if real transformation, the real transformation that we long for, didn't come from the church being a superpower at the centre of society, but it came from a church that went back to the grassroots and functioned from the margins. What if the place where we found ourselves right now in our culture was exactly where God wanted us to be? Was the exact place where God has got for us? What if we saw the opportunity that the church had right now? Not being the predominant force, but being a people who seek the peace and prosperity of the land that God has called us into. We've often said here that our vision as a church is is far bigger than than the church itself. You know, if we if our vision is just for church, then we failed. That our our vision has to be so much much, so much more than that. Our vision is is about a transformed Northampton. It's about the communities that we are part of being brought to life. It's, It's about the streets where we live on being made new. And maybe for the church to fully grasp 
that reality. We have to embrace the place where we find ourselves right now. So one of the key resources, that's my argument, okay? If you don't agree, fine. But one of the resources for a church in a place like that, I think, is leadership. Now, before you switch off and you think, well, I'm not a leader, this is not a talk for me. I'm not talking about leadership in the structural sense, in the context of like a church governance, okay? I'm talking about leadership in a, in a more broader sense. That actually, as men and women who follow Jesus, as, as people pursuing him, all of us are called to lead in some way. A few, a few weeks ago, we talked about being disciples that make disciples. If we, if we really do that, we become leaders because we're leading other people. Uh, it's a, it's a, leadership is far more than a function that, that, that some, someone has. And, and actually, it's, it's more than that. We, we, we realize that leadership is, 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 is actually about influence, it's, it's about service, and it's about transformation. And so as men and women who pursue Jesus, as, as people call to follow him in this context, the, the church is in this, in this state of exile, we're called to be people who have influence. Aren't we? We're called to be an influence. And influence is a powerful tool. I don't know if you've noticed that. And we can influence people for the good, and we can influence people for the bad. I realize that um, I've probably been a leader most of my life. It's just, it's just I influence people in the wrong ways for a period of time uh, whilst I was at school. Um, but influence is a powerful resource. So if we're meant to be men and women who seek the peace and prosperity of our city, then we're meant to be people of influence. Ephesians 3 says, His intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. See, the church carries the influence of heaven, doesn't it? That the reality of the kingdom is seen in the life of the local church. You know, as we follow Christ, as we seek his kingdom on earth, we, we show the world this is how to do life. This is how we do life well. That the church uh, carries a culture, a culture that shows the world this is how life could be done. This is what it's like when, when God gets hold of a community of people and begins to work out heaven on earth. And so we have a culture, don't we, that we carry as a people that we're called to carry into the world around us. We want to have a culture of honor that honors God, that honors ourselves, that honors one another, that we are people that do relationships really well, that we are a people who know how to respond to one another in a way that honours one another. We want to have a culture that's authentic, that a culture that exhibits integrity and trust, and at the same time that you and I can be real and honest 
We don't have to put masks on to come to church and be part of a church environment. I don't know anywhere in our culture, in our society, where we can be honest. Do you? In our workplaces, can we be honest? Really that honest? With family members? But the culture the church is meant to have is a culture of authenticity, where we can be real before one another. A culture that is accepting, where mercy triumphs over judgment. Where people can come as they are, but they don't have to stay as they are. And that we want to embrace those the Lord brings us. A culture of generosity, a place of hospitality, a place of sacrifice, where we show the world this is the best way to spend our time, our energy, and our resource. And a culture of courage, where we can take risks, where we can have a go, where we can say to the world, this is what it really looks like to have faith. And we're going to do some more work on that in the autumn term. We're going to talk a lot more about culture, the culture that we want to have as a, as a church family. But I think it's important to say that if we're going to be influencers in our, in our society, if we're going to influence the different spheres that we represent, then we need to carry that culture into the world with us. So leadership is influence. Secondly, leadership is, is service. Jesus says this in Matthew 20. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, uh, to, serve, uh, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. You know, as the church, we're called to seek the peace and prosperity of Northampton and to bring communities to life. And, and we do that as humble servants. We do that as, as men and women who take Jesus' example and we roll up our sleeves and we get our hands dirty and we learn to serve. We learn to be a service. Bill Johnson, he says this, he says, the dominion of the Lord Jesus is manifest whenever the people of God go forth to serve by bringing the order and blessing of his world into this one. And so as we go, we go to serve. And so the church that stands out, the church that's in exile that stands out is one that serves. It's men and women who are willing to get involved. And it's one that serves regardless of the benefits to us. Regardless of whether we reap for the rewards of our service. You know, we, many of you know, we help run the Northampton Food Bank. And so often we get external funders like the council come to us. And what they never understand is, is that we were feeding the poor long before austerity. And you know, if this global economic crisis turns, guess what? We're still going to feed the poor. We're still going to feed those in need. We're still going to clothe the naked. We're still going to be people who serve. So leadership is about influence. It's about service, but it's also about transformation. 
our towns, our, our, our communities, the neighborhoods where we live, our streets, our schools, our workplaces should be places of transformation simply because you and I are there. Just because we're there, they should be places that see transformation. Now, often in the church, we, we've talked about training and equipping people, and that's a really good thing, isn't it? Um, but often we limit training and equipping people to do church stuff. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. You know, we kind of, we see leadership potential in someone, or we see this potential, and so we, we train them up to do our thing. And I, I don't think the church in exile can afford to keep doing that. That actually we need to recognize the things that God has given people and empower them to go and do them in their various places of influence. You know, the church is one of the only places where all the other spheres of our society collide. I don't know if you've, you've noticed this. The, the, the church is full of men and women who are in business, in the arts, in education, in healthcare, in the social sector, in politics, in, in media. And so the challenge for the church in exile is that you know, next time this amazing business person walks into the church, it's, it shouldn't be our task to say, oh, we need to, we need to have you on the, you know, the business committee in the life of the church. That shouldn't be our first response. Our first response should be, how can we give this person who's excelling in business, how can we give them enough kingdom values to shape the business world that they influence? How can we empower people who are called into these different arenas to be all that God has meant them to be in those places where they find themselves? And see, often the church has trivialized vocation, hasn't it? And I want to say I'm sorry. Because we've, we've trivialized your vocation and we've made it meaningless. We've said things like, you know, the best thing you can do, the best two hours of your week this week can be serving in our kids' ministry. That is not true. Not when you spend 30, 40, 50 hours in another place. And actually, we need to learn as the church, to equip you in those places. That we can send you into the mission field, into your places of work, into your places of influence. Vocation isn't trivial. Vocation is of utmost importance. It's the place where you spend five days of your week. And so maybe you work in education, maybe you work in the arts or media, maybe you or an aspiring politician, um, come and see me. Um, maybe you work in healthcare. And maybe you're a person who's in these, these different arenas and, and you've never actually considered how you can bring transformation in those places. You've never fully understood it that way. One of my heroes in our church is a guy, he's not been around for very long, he's a guy called Philip, he's, he's not here today, but Philip, um, many of you won't know this because he's quite an unassuming chap, he's actually an ordained Anglican priest. And up until recently, Philip had a parish church, and then he comes to the vineyard. That's, that's the bit I don't get, but um, talk about going down in the world. But um, 
Philip joined us a few months ago, uh, having resigned as a priest to become a hospital chaplain. And Tammy and I had the privilege of going to his, like, his induction ceremony. And um, one of the things that really blew me away was obviously there was loads of his former parish there wishing him well. And whilst they were celebrating, you could tell they were grieving as well, that they'd lost their priest, that he was moving on. And, and that really showed me the fruit of his ministry. You know, grown men weeping, saying goodbye to their vicar. I don't know if any of you would weep if I left. Uh, uh, Paul might. Um, with joy. Um, but the point I want to make is, is that here's Philip. He's, he's a man called to pastoral ministry. Okay, He's going to hate this when he listens to the recording. He's a man called to pastoral ministry, and he's, he's, he's had a fruitful ministry. I could see that in the lives of the people who came. But instead, he's chosen to step out of the confines of the church and step into a secular environment to use the skills that God has given him to bring life to a hospital community. How many of us think about our jobs in that way? How many of us think about the things that we do the majority of the time, other than sleeping? How many of us think about those things in a way that this is influencing the kingdom? This is profitable for Jesus' kingdom in this town. This is, this is part of me joining God in the renewal of all things. If we're honest, we don't think about it that way, do we? So what do we do with all that? We've called this releasing leaders that impact nations. And that sounds rather grand, doesn't it? But that's where Jesus has called us. He called us to the nations. See, many of us in this room are called to lead where Jesus has placed us vocationally. And so maybe some of us could begin to dream a little bit. Dream about the possibilities that could happen for the kingdom in those places that God has you. See, that work isn't just this place where you just earn money to get by. And it's not just this place where you earn money to fund a lifestyle. But that actually work is, is far more important than that. It's, it's our mission field. It's the, the place where we get to extend God's kingdom on earth. So maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a healthcare professional. And when you trained to do that, you were full of hope. You're going to change the world. And then you got into the industry and it beat you down like a dog. It beat you down and all of a sudden you found yourself just, you've just lost that passion for the thing you was originally called to. Maybe there's something in your job today where you could just begin to rekindle some of the dreams and hopes that were placed in you, you know, when you 
worked like worked your socks off for three years getting a degree. <laughs> and you had passion and you had hope. And you thought, I'm going to change this industry. I would say those dreams were God's dreams. But he wants to change education in our town, doesn't he? He wants to change healthcare. He wants to change the arts. Wouldn't it be great if the arts in our town, all the best arts, were the ones from people who followed Jesus? Not because they were doing a Christian version of it, but because it was just exceptional. Inspiration from heaven. Wouldn't it be great if the best media came from those who loved and followed Jesus? So we want to be serious about vocation. We want to be serious about the things that God has called us into. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't think God called you to do this. Or maybe you need to figure out what he did call you to. So why don't we, why don't we stand? Our children are going to join us for ministry again this week. I just think there's a a few things for us to respond to this morning. Um, Just around the whole area of vocation and, and how what we do is important for the kingdom. Maybe you've, maybe some of you neglected that. So let's just pray and just invite the Holy Spirit. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. Just come and be amongst us, Lord. We just, we just invite your presence right now. We just say more of you. I think there are a number of different ways to respond this morning. Different things that I just felt the Lord was saying. I think for some of us, God just wants to rekindle dreams. You know, you you pursued a particular vocation and you had dreams. You had inspirations. And you've kind of just put some of those dreams down just because the drudgery of the job has has kind of got in the way. So I just sense the Lord wants to reignite dreams. I think also some of us have just lost our way vocationally a little bit. We've just lost sight of who we are vocationally. Become a little bit disillusioned with what it is we do. And some of us are even considering just changing our careers. Just considering doing something completely, completely new. And 
Some of you are just tired. Just tired. So if that's any of you, then I just encourage you to come down the front. We're going we're gonna to pray. might be some of you here who are just you need a job we'd love to pray for you too you know you just need you need you need something if we can have some more guys to pray over on my left that'd be great Educators in the room, if we could, that'd be great. If you're in education, in whatever way, just come here. Come over here on the right. We're going to pray for you. If we can have some people to pray for our teachers. That'd